When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. So even though I won't be your nominee, I remain deeply committed to Pennsylvania and to the United States of America. The president is encouraged by the discussions that are happening currently in the Senate, and it shows the urgency. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Boris Johnson survives the confidence vote, but the rebellion was larger than many expected. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. We'll get the latest from London for you. Discuss with David Smith, Washington correspondent at The Guardian. Lawmakers are back in the bubble, back in Washington, and so is talk of reconciliation. It's been a while, possibly on guns, possibly on inflation. We're going to discuss that ahead with Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst, managing partner Raymond James. Seven states holding primaries tomorrow, including California. Jack Pitney, the political scientist from Claremont McKenna College, will help us understand why the race for mayor of L.A. has become one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive in the country. Our signature panels in place, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with analysis on these stories, Boris Johnson will wake up tomorrow as prime minister once again. But he may be thinking about a new approach. I don't know. After surviving a confidence vote by less than, well, he likely had hoped. It was said if more than 133 MPs voted against Johnson today, he may have bigger problems than he realized. Certainly bigger than Theresa May faced in 2018. Turned out 148 voted against him. Let's get a bit of perspective here, political perspective from David Smith, the Washington correspondent for The Guardian. It's great to have you on a busy day, David. Does this suggest the tally here, the size of the rebellion, suggests that Boris Johnson may be nearing the end of his time as prime minister? Yes, quite possibly. I think it is a, a bitter disappointment for Johnson that um, that total of 148 uh, conservative MPs uh, voting to remove him from office, uh, not enough to do it mathematically, but uh, it's, it is you know, quite a body blow. And I noticed, um, for example, David Lammy, who's the shadow foreign secretary, a, a Labour MP, pointing out um, this is actually a, a worse percentage for Boris Johnson than for past Tory prime ministers, Margaret Thatcher, Theresa May and John Major, none of whom lasted very long. And so Lammy writes on Twitter, 
Boris Johnson is a dead man walking. He's got to go. Wow. And I think uh, quite a few people saying that and, uh, and agreeing with that. And, and I would agree with that, but for the fact that we live in the political era mm-hmm. of uh, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, and those other leaders who um, don't necessarily play by the old rules of accepting defeat or uh, displaying shame or uh, humility. And, yeah. um Johnson has survived so much in the past that uh, if anyone can survive this again, uh, maybe he he just about can. So maybe history does not rewrite itself. Maybe he's not out of work in six months. But I wonder, you know, just imagining and and recalling the images of him walking around the streets of Kiev just a couple of weeks ago. He's central to this war in Ukraine right now, certainly as a partner to the U.S., Uh, David, talk to us about his relationship with this White House and what a different prime minister might mean for continuity in a wartime. Yeah, I mean, you're you're reminding me of the roller coaster ride here where Johnson did seem completely doomed. And then um, a few weeks later, as you say, he's strutting around Kiev, uh, or a sort of Churchillian figure with the president of Ukraine. And at that point, people were saying he's untouchable and the, the attempt to remove him from power has failed. And and now here we are back again with him, you know, dangling by a thread. And um, and, and, and part of that Ukraine effort uh, was indeed this uh, close relationship between the UK and the US uh, militarily and diplomatically um, on the Ukraine uh, crisis. Um, it, I think it has brought those two countries together and, and indeed brought the, the US and, and Europe uh, together. Um, I think uh, Boris Johnson was trying to construct an argument that Parties at Downing Street are are pretty, you know, small fry, pretty trivial mm-hmm. compared to the future of the West and uh, geopolitics uh, vis-a-vis Russia. Um, and it, it perhaps uh, helped uh, build some bridges between um, Biden and, and Johnson, even though I, I don't think they are a natural fit. And certainly in the past, uh, there have been wrinkles there. For example, um, Joe Biden a few years ago describing Boris Johnson as the physical and emotional clone of Donald (laughs) Trump. Yes, he did. Um, So Ukraine seemed to be sort of cementing that. But uh, but look, I think if if Boris Johnson is eventually ousted and replaced by a a new British prime minister, uh, Joe Biden will not be uh, weeping tears over that. He'll be very happy to to get on with the new person. Great context and appreciate uh, your time. Fascinating conversation once again. Uh, with David Smith, the Washington correspondent for The Guardian. You can follow him on Twitter, at Smith in America. He's been very good on this, keeping us up to date. Come back and talk to us soon, David. All the while, in Washington, lawmakers are back. It was a busy day, a busy night at Reagan National Airport. They're back in the bubble. And, of course, the first question that everyone is asking uh, is, what's the situation with guns? We know that senators have been talking about a gun safety measure uh, through telephone and Zoom meetings, uh, basically since Uvalde. They've been out for, for some time here. Karine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary at the White House, was asked about this just today. We are going to see how the negotiations go. We're going to give it the space that it needs. Uh, and uh, we're not going to speak to what exactly is being discussed, the pieces of legislation. Uh, but we are encouraged, and we think these incremental steps, these steps that they're taking, this conversation that they're having is very important. Hearing that word incremental a lot. And as lawmakers return, you know, there are several different efforts underway. You've got this one in the Senate. In fact, there are a couple of groups in the Senate. We know that there is a massive 
package of gun safety, gun control measures being marked up in the House just went through Judiciary Committee last week. And now we're hearing more talk about reconciliation. The focus on what Democrats say is important legislation on the economy, the Bipartisan Innovation Act, which includes the CHIP Act, and a reconciliation bill aimed at inflation. Uh, I should say reconciliation. It's been a while. This is why we want to talk to Ed Mills. He's back with us today. Washington Policy Analyst, Managing Director at Raymond James. Ed, are we going to talk about a reconciliation bill for the rest of this year, only to see nothing happen again by November? Joe, it's certainly possible. Um, What I'm telling clients at Raymond James is that uh, what the Biden administration and congressional Democrats are attempting right now mm-hmm. is a bit of a economic sprint between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Yeah, okay. That starts with this bipartisan uh, investment act. That's the U.S.-China competition bill. Mm-hmm. There'll be decisions on China and tariffs, and they would like to cap that off with reconciliation. The odds are going up on reconciliation, but it is far from a done deal. Uh, Senator Manchin, once again, is at the center of all this. But even if you get a negotiation um, in a deal with him, how do you sell it to the rest of the Senate? How do you get the progressives on board in the mm-hmm. House? Uh, that fragile flower of consensus uh, is going to be very difficult to achieve. Not impossible, yeah. but that is the uh, goal here between now and when members go off to their August recess. So is this the last gasp of the Democratic majority on Capitol Hill? Because it's not just economic issues we're hearing uh, about. I spoke earlier today, Ed, with Congressman Don Beyer, the Democrat from Virginia is uh, proposing a gun control bill of sorts. It would actually impose a 1,000% tax on all assault weapons, the idea being that it would have the same effect as a ban, which could never pass the Senate. Instead, he could do it through reconciliation with only Democratic votes. I'm assuming that's not likely to happen, but these are the kind of ideas coming up here when the time is short and another party is breathing down your neck. Yeah, Joe, I, I listened to that. It was a great interview you had. And it is, t- you know, I think kind of showing you how they are trying to get creative. Uh, they are looking for solutions that might not necessarily um, require that 60 vote threshold uh, in the Senate. Uh, Congressman Beyer was very clear about how he was attempting to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that if they get something done, it is what you highlighted at the beginning of the segment, which is that incremental. Mm-hmm. Uh, what uh, Democrats are hoping to do is work with uh, kind of their colleagues in the Senate to show them that they can get something done on gun control and that it does not harm them at the ballot box. Uh, that is not in, in terms of what a uh, Don Beyer is looking for. It's right. more in terms of what... Uh, yeah, Senator Murphy, uh, Senator uh... Cornyn. Cornyn, did we lose him? Oh, well. Nope. No, there you go. I'm there. You cut out there for a minute, Ed. Sorry. Uh, uh, the, the Murphy-Cornyn bill, are we talking about a red flag uh, incentive bill? I mean, this is, it's kind of the lowest rung of, of the ladder here, right, in getting something done. It is. It's, it's, it's money to states to implement red flag laws. That's going to uh, be the product, more... though. Yeah, it's 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 things that, um, you know, kind of have support by 80, 90 percent of voters um, and Republicans are in a potentially difficult position here because they are kind of looking kind of at their polls and it, it looks pretty good and they don't want to be completely on the wrong side. So at the bare minimum, from a political perspective, they have to go through the process of, of negotiations and yeah. seeing what can be done. Uh, we'll see if they can kind of find that 
agreement that it would be enough for Democrats to also be uh, supportive. Yep. Murphy talks about that incremental yep. view. Um, I'm not fully sure all of his colleagues thinks incremental is enough. Well, no, and of course it depends which colleagues you ask and who might be up for re-election uh, this time around. Ed, just to get back though, you, you mentioned the mansion on the hill, Joe Manchin talking again about not build back better. We'll find a different name. It's, it's what is it, build America? I don't even, it, there'll, there'll be a hat for it at some point. But this is a stripped down version of what they could not get done last year. Does this have a better chance? Um, better chance because we're still talking about it. If something gets done, it, it's two core things. One, something on health care. I think what doesn't get discussed enough is the health care cliffs that occur later this year. Uh, the subsidies for the Affordable Care Act that yeah. were part of the American Rescue Plan last year would cause massive increases um, in exchange uh -huh. paid plans mm -hmm. uh, at the end of this year. Democrats would like to avoid that. The public health emergency could move millions of people uh, off of uh, Medicare, yeah. uh, Medicaid, I'm sorry, um, once that is lifted. So they're really focusing on that. That's more politically popular than other parts of the plan. Sure. And then on energy. Ed Mills, uh, come back and talk to us. So that story also is not getting enough coverage. Come back and talk to us here on Bloomberg Sound On. Washington policy analyst Raymond James will assemble the panel next. We've got Rick and Jeannie on the way. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Somebody mentioned Joe Manchin. Say his name. Manchin, look at the headline. Not just reconciliation talking about the economy. He says he would consider backing a ban on assault weapons, telling CNN that he supports raising to 21 the age for purchasing semi-automatic weapons. Also said he would consider backing a ban on assault weapons, depending on the proposal. And that's a big caveat there because we can't even seem to define them uh, in most cases uh, for these conversations. Let's assemble the panel right now and pick up on where we left off with Ed Mills. Rick and Jeannie are with us on a Monday. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Does the Manchin headline uh, move this story at all, Rick, or, or is, is he just too far ahead? We're talking about red flags maybe expanded background checks in the Senate right now, as opposed to raising the age of, for buying a weapon. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that, Joe. Nope. I think that uh, there is a debate going on about the uh, raising of age. Uh, it was in part of the Florida laws that were passed uh, in, um, in, in 2019. Mm -hmm. And so I think that certainly Republicans see those as having been effective in Florida. And, and the question now is, you know, will they be willing to do it 
on Capitol. A lot of Republicans um, like Adam Kinzinger have been speaking out about it mm-hmm. uh, positively. Uh, I think more likely uh, for long guns uh, specifically. And uh, uh, I think Joe Manchin was talking about semi-automatics, you know, but I do think it's on the table. Uh, A ban on think- assault weapons is another story, correct? For sure. I think that that's a totally different kettle of fish. It hasn't worked in the past. As you say, you get into this whole debate about what is an assault weapon. uh, And I I, I don't imagine that uh, is likely to occur other than maybe some elements of it, like Mm -hmm. clips and things like that, Mm -hmm. that uh, that have been subject to regulation in the past by the federal government. Jeannie, Jane Harmon told us earlier today on Balance of Power that she voted for the assault weapons ban in 1994 and almost lost her seat over it. It was within 900 votes or something. This is a Democrat from California. I realize it was not considered a liberal district, but my goodness, fast forward to 2022, and it gives you a good sense of what that would mean for a lot of lawmakers. It does. And, and it's fascinating because, of course, that's 1994, as you mentioned, yeah. in California for a Democrat yes. of all places. And, you know, I am sitting in here in New York and we've got Chris Jacobs. He loses 10 people in his district. He's a freshman from New York. He comes out in support of fairly common sense gun regulations uh, and he within two weeks is pushed out of his run for re-election and that's again New York he is a freshman Republican but it just tells you what the state of the party is and you know I have to say that Joe Manchin went through this you know the Manchin to me Bill you know once we even get language on one of these things the amount of misinformation that comes forward about that language was one of the things that upset their ability to pass uh, that that bill so we have a long way to go before we get what I still believe is going to be really incremental Mm -hmm. focused on mental health and and maybe uh, school safety but they're not going to be addressing any real restrictions on or new gun laws. Do we have this week essentially for timing on a deal, Rick? Yeah, I think this is the moment, right? I mean, we've talked so many times about these crises, uh, these attacks that occur and that and that the focus wanes after a week or two. Uh, people look another direction. And, and so this is the time. And I do think there's a a bipartisan effort that's that's really open. I think Chris Murphy, Democrat, has done an enormously good job of not demagoguing this issue and bringing people to the table to try and find solutions. Uh, I think I think this could be a package that people could stand up and say, hey, we've actually done something about it. And I do think that age allows them to go out if they raise it from 18 to 21 for long guns and said, you know what, if this had been law, uh, uh, Uvalde would not have occurred. That's, and boy, isn't that the point, Jeannie? How many times have I asked, whether it's lawmakers or, or activists on one side or another, this issue over the last several weeks, would, would your idea have stopped those last shootings? The answer is usually no. And of course, my goodness, we got another pile of them over the weekend, so that changes the rules here all over again when you're asking that. Uh, but that's, that's going to be the test for a lot of lawmakers. You can pass something, but would it have prevented any of these from happening? Yeah. And, and, you know, as you mentioned, in so many cases, I mean, we've been listening to you do these interviews in almost every case. Unfortunately, the answer, as you mentioned, is no. And a spate of violence over the weekend. And I think the question we're going to be asking if something does get passed is going to be, was it a meaningful? Would it have made a difference at all? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is usually, again, the answer to those questions going to be no, particularly if it doesn't address the number of guns in the country in a meaningful way. And by 
by any stretch of the imagination, it's hard to believe we're going to get there. Cornyn, who seems to be negotiating in good faith, he wants to be majority leader uh, of, of his conference at some point. He's not going to be able to do this with just 10 Republicans if he, they can even get there. So I think we have a long way to go if we're going to get something meaningful. We're talking about a fairly narrow slice of this story here, Rick. Does, if something gets done to the extent that we're describing uh, in Congress, could that open a conversation about, for instance, illegal guns, how to control illegal guns in street crime, how illegal guns are impacting uh, communities of color, for instance, in cities all over the country? Uh, never mind uh, the idea of, of non-fatal shootings, of which there are so many that would never make the news. Gun violence is more than school shootings. Joe, we've seen so many facets of this uh, gun debate uh, uh, go beyond what we're talking about, as you say. Um, you know, we just saw the administration take real uh, action uh, from the executive branch, mm -hmm. you know, on these ghost guns. Right. And, and now you're talking about something that's at the heart of an explosion of crime across the country, and that's illegal weapons in the cities especially. And so I think all of this stuff is going to get aired out, especially during this election cycle. You hope it's a way to get to that conversation here with Rick and Jeannie. We do this every day, we try to air out both sides on the fastest hour in politics. We'll turn to primary day next after we check traffic and markets for you. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. We'll have more of the panel a bit later on. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour as we now turn to primary day tomorrow. We've got a big one here. Seven states, California, Iowa, New Mexico, South Dakota, New Jersey, Montana, Mississippi. This is the biggest day of voting basically in the cycle until Election Day itself. As I read on the terminal, Greg Giroux's got his great piece, as always, by the way, if you want to get yourself together here with all the breakdowns on the races to watch in each state. Not just the busiest day of voting, but we'll be voters will be selecting general election nominees in almost a fifth of the 435 House districts in just one day. The race for L.A. mayor has really captured our attention, though. We've been talking about it a lot, and we wanted to hear about it uh, from Jack Pitney. As you've got a mayoral race, I realize it's L.A. This is a big city. But to become what could be the most expensive race in the country is saying something. Rick Caruso has spent $34 million on this race, single-handedly making it uh, what it is. This is, remember, the Republican turned Democrat. His main rival is Representative Karen Bass, who with an allied super PAC has spent about $2 million. That's $34 million to $2 million. Caruso outspending her 13 to 1. Jack Pitney, again, political scientist from Claremont McKenna College. Does this race have your attention as well? How expensive <laughs> could this get? Absolutely. Uh, it was going to be expensive because it's the Los Angeles media market, mm -hmm. which is a notoriously uh, expensive buy. And Caruso has been all over the place. Uh, my home is not in the city of Los Angeles, but I'm getting Caruso ads all over the place. I bet. Uh, so he is spending a lot of money and uh, it's paid off. Uh, polls indicate that uh, he is going to make the top two, whether he uh, uh, out polls Karen Bass is another question, uh, but it seems very likely that uh, the result tomorrow night will be that Karen Bass and Rick Caruso will be on the ballot in November. And that's important. This is the way it goes in California, right? You've got um, you've got the two uh, top vote getters moving on to the general. That's right. But with one important uh, difference in a mayoral race, mm -hmm. in most statewide races, 
the top two just proceed to the general election, no matter how many votes either of them get. In a local election, if one of the candidates gets 50 percent, game over. Mm-hmm. Uh, that person wins outright. That's possible tomorrow night, but not very likely. Rick Caruso has resonated uh, with the crime story in L.A. Is that what has also brought him this far? Crime and homelessness. Uh, If you talk to anybody who's recently visited Los Angeles, they'll be shocked at the homeless encampments all over the city. Uh, It's a huge humanitarian problem and one that the city government has not been able to manage very effectively. And both candidates have had a lot to say about it. I wasn't going to ask you too much about the gubernatorial race because Gavin Newsom is apparently going to have a pretty great day. But uh, Michael Schellenberger, uh, a homeless advocate, has done pretty well for himself on that issue on a state level as well. That's right. The question is whether is he, he is going to make the top two. He's mm-hmm. running as an independent. Now, uh, in uh, the top two primary, that shouldn't make much of a difference. Uh, But uh, Republicans and Democrats tend to stay in their partisan silos, and the polls indicate that uh, the number two candidate is very, very likely to end up being a Republican, Hmm. and that person will get crushed in November. Wow. What's Karen Bass's uh, message to voters if she's not throwing nearly the money that her rival is, if we can get back to the L.A. mayor's race for a minute? Competence and compassion. Uh, She uh, has a long record in public service. She was Speaker of the California Assembly, knows state issues, knows local issues, knows national issues. And she has a reputation for, uh, even though she's uh, pretty progressive on the issues, uh, she's a practical deal maker. She Mm -hmm. can uh, get things done. That's her message. And uh, it's actually the the same message as uh, Rick Caruso uh, as a practical problem solver. Uh, There are a couple of interesting house races to watch in California as well, uh, particularly uh, those who voted to impeach Donald Trump. Uh, There were 10 House Republicans, and one of them is in California, of course, here. David uh, Valadao, if I'm saying his name correctly, is that going to... Valadao, excuse me. Is that going to bite back in his primary tomorrow? It's possible. Uh, It's... uh it is within the realm possibility that uh, a pro-Trump Republican could outpoll him mm-hmm. uh, and get into the top two for November. We'll uh, we'll see how the vote shakes out, but uh, that's something of great concern to him. We've talked about crime and homelessness. What else is motivating voters to actually get to the polls in California in an off election year? Those are the big ones in California. And the thing to remember about crime is that uh, this state has a reputation for being very democratic, very blue, but we also have a relatively conservative streak when it comes to uh, to crime. Uh, in the last election, uh, California voters, by a fairly substantial margin, uh, voted down a measure to abolish cash bail. And if you look over time, uh, the voters have tended to indicate that they uh, favor a, a tough-on-crime stance. In the city of San Francisco, for instance, the very progressive district attorney is likely to be recalled tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, so that's an issue that probably works to the advantage of, uh, of Rick Caruso in Los Angeles. Yeah, there's, boy, there's nothing like California politics. Jack Pitney knows that. That's why we had him in, and we thank you for your insights. Jack, political scientist from Claremont McKenna College. I'd love to just get quickly uh, with Rick and Jeannie on this, because we, we covered a lot of ground there, but this L.A. mayor's race, something I heard you both discuss, discussing earlier today, uh, is a race uh, about money. Is there going to be a lesson learned here, Rick, that... You know, money doesn't uh, buy everything in politics. 
Well, I think it's going to buy uh, Caruso a, a ticket into the general election yeah. and, and then watch how much gets spent. <laughs> so I don't think we've even scratched the surface. I mean, obviously, the primary was a key thing uh, for him to buy name ID and get into this uh, runoff. But it sounds like that's what's going to happen. I can't imagine what he's willing to spend, mostly of his own money, by yes. the way, uh, you know, to get elected in the general election. So I, I think we're going to see this as probably a record breaker for, for California mayors sure versus maybe like for the rest of the country. Can Karen Bass help to make up the difference with money from Washington, Jeannie? She may be able to, but I think the real story here is this, you know, fight in the Democratic Party between the establishment and progressives and progressives are having a hard time in yeah. a Democratic state right now. It's a great setup for our next conversation. We've got to talk about Pennsylvania as well. Fetterman, Oz, it's on. And so are Rick and Jeannie next. This is Bloomberg. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, so much for the recount in Pennsylvania. After a couple of weeks of pins and needles, the race for Senate is set after David McCormick conceded on Friday. So even though I won't be your nominee, I remain deeply committed to Pennsylvania and to the United States of America. Nice and easy. He said he called Dr. Oz and let him know here. So Oz will face John Fetterman in the general, which sets up a race that Rick Davis described earlier as, I believe, a doctor-patient <laughs> contest, having learned that Fetterman's heart condition, remember he had a stroke right before the primary, they uh, put a defibrillator in his heart, I guess it was worse than first revealed. Let's reassemble the panel for more on this. Uh, Rick, it seems like opportunities abound for a candidate who is known as a medical doctor, as a surgeon, uh, being able to question his rival here about disclosures when it comes to medical health. Well, I, I think that even if he just says, I hope every day of the campaign that uh, uh, Lieutenant uh, Governor Fetterman is is doing well, it just reminds everybody that he may not be. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's really not incumbent upon him, I think, to put it out there. I think every single day reporters on the campaign trail are going to be asking Fetterman, how do you feel today? I mean, he's not right. going to escape this. <laughs> right. Um, it's one thing to have gone through the health scare that he had during the primaries, but evidently he was diagnosed back in 2017 uh, of a heart condition and, and did not follow his doctor's instructions. So um, I, I think there's a lot of splaining to do for the, mm -hmm. the Fetterman campaign, and I think this is going to dog them for the rest of the election. How damaging is this, Jeannie? Does the Fetterman campaign need to be proactive here, you know, start putting out the EKG scans? I mean, how do you manage this? 
you know, I, I think they need to show that that they didn't withhold any information. There's been a lot of questions about that, that they were honest about his health. Um, and so they're going to need to put information out there. But let's not forget, you know, Fetterman won all 67 counties, 59 percent of the vote against a a candidate in Connor Lamb, who people, you know, at one point thought was the future of, of the Democratic Party in Pennsylvania. Mm. You juxtapose that with Oz, who barely scraped by with less than a thousand votes against McCormick, was in a recount and had to wait. So, you know, yes, Fetterman has had this horrific health scare and we hope he's well. But Oz has been damaged as well. And we've already seen the Fetterman campaign come out and they have a bumper sticker or a pin now that says Dr. Oz for New Jersey, because, of yeah. course, he's, you know, not from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, as they mm -hmm. like to talk about. So there is going to be a lot of back and forth here. It's certainly a Republican year. But, you know, Fetterman, before this health scare, was sort of a poster child for showing how Democrats could do this and be this That's outsider right. sort of Does this impact the man. tough guy image, Jeannie? Not so tough now when you got a heart problem? It, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely asking. It, it, it does. I mean, it, it does. And they're going to have to address that. Some people like to describe him as the Paul Bunyan common man. You know, <laughs> yeah. he, you know, he's not a Superman. But, you know, I thought they did a good job when he said a lot of men his age don't like to go to the doctor. And mm -hmm. he was the same way. That's an honest view. And, and I think that's the kind of argument that he's going to need to make to say, hey, I'm like everybody else, but I've learned. And again, he, he may have to be forthcoming about his, his physical health going yeah. forward more than they have. Been. I suspect a lot of people could relate with that, uh, Rick, but wait till Donald Trump gets a hold of this, right? Or maybe Donald Trump shouldn't be the one talking about heart health. Well, I think the more Donald Trump stays out of the Pennsylvania Senate race, the better off it is for Dr. Oz. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I really think that, uh, as you described, this should be a good turnout year. Uh, Would Republican... he be the nominee without Trump, or that's the point? You go in the general election, have Donald Trump stay at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, I think, I think the best methodology Donald Trump has is make your picks in the primary, and then... Uh, help whenever the base gets unruly, but otherwise stay out of it because yeah. you've got to go beyond your base in order to win a state like Pennsylvania. And as Jeannie was saying, it is likely to be a close race. Um, um, you know, you, you, Republicans usually only win by a couple points there. And so uh, it will be competitive. I would say that, that early indications by the large turnout in the Pennsylvania uh, Republican primary is indicative of a lot of good intensity by Republicans. Mm -hmm. And so it's Oz's job to keep that moving. Rick, you have actually managed a candidate's uh, health status publicly before. What would be your advice to the Fetterman camp? Yeah, I think it's very similar to what Jeannie was saying. You know, be very transparent. I mean, when we had this come up with John McCain in the 2000 presidential campaign, oh my God, how did he survive the prison mm -hmm. camp? He must be crazy. We release all of his uh, military medical records. I mean, there were probably 8,000 pages, and we let people come in and read through them, and reporters uh, and, 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 and physicians alike. And mm -hmm. so, uh, and, and, and frankly, there's a lot of good news in there, even if there's some bad news, and you have to put it all out and be transparent about it. Otherwise, the issue isn't your health. It's like you're not being clear to American you know, voters, and, and that is worse. We're spending time with Rick and Jeannie, our signature panel on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew at World Headquarters in New York as we prepare not only for primaries tomorrow, but a very important hearing on Thursday. And I haven't had a chance to ask you guys about this. This is the January 6th committee, and there's a lot of news about this over the weekend. Members of the committee are really uh, starting to get out there a little bit, do a little bit of previewing here. This is, of course, the committee investigating the Capitol attack. And they're planning their first televised hearing. Not just that. You could, you know, 
you could have a televised hearing that nobody would ever see at 10 o'clock in the morning. This is truly prime time at 8 p.m. Uh, among those getting out ahead of this, Liz Cheney, of course, one of only two Republicans on the panel. She sat down with Robert Costa at CBS to talk about what is an inflection point as she sees it here for the Republican Party. Is this moment a moral test for the Republican Party? Absolutely. No, no question. And, and right now we're failing. You know, in my state, the, the state party chairman is a member of the Oath Keepers. He was, he was here on January 6th. Uh, he was here with a walkie-talkie in his hand on January 6th. That is a, a mortal threat, and it is a moral test. We, we can't fail that moral test, but there are too many right now in my party um, who are failing it. Rick, I'm curious as a Republican, your response to that, and if you do expect to see something meaningfully new on Thursday. Well, I think a lot of it has been vetted out already. The committee has actually uh, built some momentum around these hearings by uh, selectively releasing uh, different kinds of information that, that frankly, is pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're aided by some of the Justice Department prosecutions, like today announcing charges against the Proud boys members, you know, with sedition charges. So uh, there's a there's a building of a crescendo. And of course, for Liz Cheney, it's not only just about the moral uh, turpitude of her own party, the GOP, but it's also like her entire reelection yes. is going to be uh, banked on whether or not these hearings are seen in her state and, and, and that people, frankly, change their minds when they see them. At least six of these hearings are planned, Jeannie, two of them in prime time. There are professional video producers apparently helping to, to create portions of this presentation. Most people think they already know everything about January 6th, right? That's why we're not talking about it every day. How important will these hearings be to bring something new to light? They're critically important. And, you know, the committee has been promising that, you know, this is going to be astonishing. It's going to blow people's minds, all of those things. And so a big question is going to be, can they meet their own test and can they capture the nation's attention with this? Or are people so, as you mentioned, committed to where what to what they know? They lived through it. They don't need to know anything more about it, that they're just going to sort of ignore it. And, you know, you juxtapose this with, say, the Watergate hearings or even Iran contra the media has changed an awful lot and we've already seen that president trump former president trump is talking about counter programming he's already reaching out to allies mccarthy stefanik who he's got a fundraiser for tonight to lead the charge on that and so as much as republicans may not want to talk about it there's some allies there who are going to talk about it so it's going to be fascinating to see if they can live up to the hype that they've set on That's this right and truly give a narrative that people capture people really hard yeah. as we all know to do in this environment so what are we talking about here rick i mean is it going to be the, the the capital riot from a different angle we haven't seen before you know that there's going to be a video camera you didn't know or will there be actually new information new names uh or or at least better connections to the names that we've been hearing about yeah, I think part of it is there's going to be evidence, right? There's going to be email exchanges that'll come to light. There'll be, you know, interviews with the committee that uh, they'll talk about. This will all get make its way into the public domain. And so the, a lot of it will be proof, right? It won't be just speculation yeah. as to what happened. But a lot of it will also focus on the run-up to September 6th or to January 6th. What, what was the intent? Was this really a, a, a soft coup? Uh, and, and I think that's part of what the conclusion 
we don't know yet, but what, what people are saying, you know, what, what is going to be ultimately the conclusion? Was there an attempt by the President of the United States and his allies in government and yeah. in, the, in the private sector to thwart the outcome of an election? And, and that could be a huge impact in a country that's already divided. You just wonder who's going to be paying attention, uh, Jeannie. I don't know if the, 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 the networks are carrying this. If this is just the cables, it, it could stand to just galvanize a lot of existing beliefs. That's right. And a lot of this, of course, is going to be, you know, what do people break out of it and put on Twitter or put on Instagram? You know, these young people don't tend to watch these kinds of live. uh, (laughs) They stream everything. Young people these days. Yeah. And so they're going to have to have people cutting this out and and, and moving it forward, as you will. So, you know, I, I, I am very curious to see how this plays, because, again, we are a long ways away from the Watergate hearings. And of course, we can't forget what a serious situation this was and what a test the committee has in front of them to meet. Eight o'clock Washington time Thursday, where we're going to have a lot to talk about on Friday. Then again, we have a lot to talk about every day. We've got a primary day tomorrow. We'll be talking about it with Rick and Jeannie. Right here on the fastest hour in politics, I'll meet you back in D.C. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.